0: Hello, everyone. Uh, here is Jan from Bucharest. Here is Dan from Treboň. <laughs> and we have also Dan from Tel Aviv. Hello, Dan. Good
1: afternoon. Hello.
0: So with Dan from Prague, we were thinking about doing a few interviews and analysis on Israel because we see uh, uh, as a bit of injustice that, you know, all the Western universities and, and big Western cities are full of Palestinian and not even Palestinian flags. It's it's flags of ISIS. Uh, we see shouting Khalifat Khalifat in German cities, we see it in London, we see it in the United States. That's why uh, as a sort of our uh, personal activity was done from Prague, we wanted to do a few interviews to show people uh, in the West how, how things are really happening in in Israel, and what happened on seventh of October, and that's why we are ha- very happy that we have with us Professor Dan Shuftan, who is, um, I would say, uh, skilled operator of many decades in Israeli politics and national security. He was advisor for giants like uh, Itzhak Rabin. He worked for Ariel Sharon. He uh, was teaching uh, uh, Israeli uh, soldiers and. Uh, uh, they are officers and now he is chairing at Universities of Haifa and Tel Aviv uh, courses on national security. It's great having you, Dan. I'm delighted to be on. Uh, without hesitation, let me kick off first question. Ground offensive has just started, uh, IDF, uh, soldiers, uh, tanks, uh, APCs are already uh, surrounding Gaza City. Uh, what shall we expect and for how long that this ground operation will you know, go on?
1: Well, the major part of it will take a few weeks, but the overall operation will take months because we are speaking about the most difficult challenge that any modern army had in confronting a terrorist organization that is deeply embedded in civilian population and actually prepared itself for 15 years for exactly the moment that we are having now, namely for a situation where he makes war against Israel, Israel will have to respond, and then they wanted to prepare Gaza as a death trap for Israel. And they have mined practically everything, booby-trapped practically everything, so you have a situation here where the Israelis have to confront something much more difficult than Fallujah or um, a towns in Iraq where the Americans had to fight people who were much, much less prepared, and also fighting the terrorist militias. They had their own barbaric militias from Iranian-supported militias. So they didn't have to do what a civilized society has to do against barbarians. This is the number one challenge. How do you confront barbarians when you behave like a civilized human being? This is the challenge that we are facing now. Yeah, uh,
2: thank you very much. Uh, maybe I would uh, come back a little bit to seventh October, and uh, my question would be uh, how it is possible. Uh, that it could happen at all? Because uh, uh, where do you see the reason? Uh, On the well-thought attack of Hamas or on the failure of uh, Israeli security agencies?
1: Well, we failed. We failed on two levels. We failed on intelligence. We did not know that it is about to happen. And we were also unprepared for it because we assumed that people on the other side are people like us, in other words, people who care for the future of their children, who want to have a better life. We gave them electricity and water. We hospitalized their people in our hospitals while they were shooting rockets against Israeli cities. I mean, when they behaved as barbarians, we behaved as civilized human beings and we expected them to behave, okay, like enemies, but civilized human beings. And we didn't realize that wanting to kill our children is more important for them than wanting to give a better future to their own children. And I tried for a long period of time to convince Israelis that we are misinterpreting what is happening to us with Palestinians in general and Hamas in particular, but people wanted to believe that they are people like us. And they kept telling me, that, okay, ideologically, they want to kill us, but practically, they're willing to live with us somehow. It turned out, unfortunately, that they were wrong, and this explains our intelligence failure and our operational failure. If, if,
0: if, if you can a little bit talk about how Hamas is running Gaza, now it's well-known fact that the, that the hamas leaders are actually dollar billionaires ismail Haniya is for example net worth four billion dollars and hamas has a sizable financial operation why we don't see anything uh, happening towards palestinian civilians from hamas you think that basically they have palestinian civilians in, civilians as a sort of hostages to to sort of like groom them you know groom them in hate
1: It is a combination of three things. First of all, Palestinians, not just in Gaza, are educating their children that the only way they can have happiness is to destroy Israel and kill Jews. And this is true in the West Bank, this is true in Gaza, this is true even to some extent to Israeli Arabs, to Arab citizens of Israel. So education explains one thing. The other thing that explains it is the fact that they don't care about their people. In other words, if they kill our people, they're happy. And if we kill their people, they're also happy because it makes for pictures. Then then stupid people in American universities and stupid people in Europe see Palestinians suffering and they say the Israelis are to blame for it. So it works for them, both if they kill us and if we kill them. So, they want us to kill them, and therefore they put their missiles in hospitals and in schools and in mosques and so on, because this is their way of trying to destroy us. Uh, the third element is that they wanted us, if we come in, to come into a place where we cannot single out the Hamas people from the civilian population so that being deterred from killing civilians, Hamas will survive. And we have to demonstrate to ourselves and to them that we can destroy them without mass killing of Palestinian civilians. Therefore, it takes long. Therefore, we have to be very slow. Therefore, we cannot accept a ceasefire today because ceasefire means that the barbarians win. Okay.
2: So, uh, in consideration what, uh, you just said, uh, what's your opinion on the, uh, last, uh, Biden's call to ceasefire and, uh, how do you, th- how do you think, uh, it-, it could be possible at all?
1: I don't think that Biden tells us to have a ceasefire now. I think that what he's telling us is to have some humanitarian pauses which is also something that you have to do very, very carefully. Biden, at the moment, is withstanding the pressure inside America. He has his own progressives in the United States who are a combination of stupidity and uh, anti-Israel attitudes. And these people want to cease fire, and this is on the eve of elections in a year. We have the elections and there is the fear that they will stay at home that they will not support him and then perhaps trump or another republican will take over so he is withstanding at the moment very strong pressures he is asking israel to give humanitarian aid which we do in the southern part of the gaza strip he's asking us for some pauses and there are pauses we have allowed for instance today I think at the moment, we are along a certain line inside um, Gaza. We are allowing people to leave from the north to the south. At the moment, there is no American pressure on Israel to have a ceasefire again. Ceasefire means Hamas wins. And people who support it in the West are either too stupid to understand it or too uh, anti-Israeli, anti-Semitic or whatever wanting hamas to win the battle if we stop now hamas wins and israel will not stop
0: why why such cruelty from hamas yes they've been as you say rightly killing jews for for ages but this is unlike anything we have known before you know also hostages previously one, two, three hostages, now we have hundreds, and more than a thousand cruelly killed. Do you think that Hamas was surprised by their own success? And what was the reason for such cruelty?
1: First of all, yes, Hamas was surprised by its own success. And the cruelty is because they are barbarians. Again, when you ask why be cruel, you assume that they are civilized people and they behave in a way That does not befit civilized people. They're not civilized people, they're barbarians. This is how they treat their women, their children, their people. This is the way a lot of the Middle East treats each other. Look at what is happening in Syria, in Iraq, in Yemen, in Algeria. Wherever you look in the Middle East, you have cruelty, you have barbarism, you also have other Arabs, you also have. Arabs who behave in a different way. But you also have this kind of barbarism. It is particularly prevalent among Palestinians and in Hamas. But again, the most important thing to understand, we cannot afford to go back to the same mistake as if these are people like us. Are they human beings? Yes. Are they born this way? No, they're educated this way. They, this is what they hear in their kindergartens, in their schools, from their teachers, from in the West Bank, for instance, from a primitive anti-Semitic president of the Palestinian Authority, Mahmoud Abbas. If you just hear what he said in August, so primitive, denying even the existence of the Jewish people, telling his people primitive stories and lying, and this is what they get 24-7. So it's not that they're born this way. They're educated this way. And if one day they decide to educate their children in a different way, then we will, we will have a chance of peace with the Palestinians. At the moment they educate them that the only way they can get their happiness is on the ruins of Israel and of the Jews. Uh, when you
2: talk about barbarians, uh, and I agree, uh, what's your opinion on the approach of uh, European Union that decided to uh, increase its, uh, uh, to send money, more money to Gaza? And uh, do you think that uh, we could say the uh, European Union uh, helps to finance uh, terrorism in this way?
1: First of all, the European Union finances, among other things, the Palestinian education system, where the schools are named after terrorists, where the school books are anti-Semitic and uh, bringing honor, dignifying only terrorists. This is their only role model. And the Europeans and Americans who give the Palestinians billions of dollars are actually facilitating Palestinian barbarism because they don't have to care for uh, the food or the education of their people, they get it from UNRWA and the UN uh, Agency for Palestinian Refugees, and they can spend all the money they get from Iran and from other barbarians, they can spend it on missiles and on tunnels and what have you. Look, every refugee in the world is assisted by one UN organization that cares for the refugee for two years, and then there is a special organization in the United Nations, only for Palestinians, which is already caring for them for more than 75 years and with huge sums of money, and encouraging them to remain refugees and to remain dedicated to the struggle against Israel. The United Nations is a place that is dominated by a majority of regimes, that are autocratic or barbarian, and they are prostituting practically every value, including values concerning humanitarian aid, by making this humanitarian aid available to people who use it for terrorism. The UN is funding UNRWA teachers, and the UNRWA teachers teach Hamas in schools. When we we stay still in Europe, aren't you,
0: or are you surprised by the wave of anti-Israeli movement at the universities, at the streets? And I, I'm not only talking about immigrants uh, coming, for example, from Middle East to, 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 to Western cities, but also, I would say, uh, you know, people who are their families, families living in Europe for generations or forever. Where does it coming from?
1: First of all, unfortunately, anti-Semitism is prevalent in Europe. It used to be only the far-right, the fascist right, and now it is also the deep left. And in addition to it, you have people who come from the Middle East, from Pakistan or from Afghanistan, and they come to Europe from countries that were completely ruined because they had a certain political culture. And instead of coming to Europe, To have a good life so that they can enjoy a civilized political culture they bring with them the political culture of the countries they came from and the result is they treat women in a barbaric way they behave in the streets in a barbaric way they are violent they don't work i'm not saying all of them but i'm saying a very very large part of their community and then they come out in the streets and behave like barbarians the way they have learned in their own countries so if they would have come to europe and they would have adopted european values and they would have been pluralistic uh, live and let live society no they came and a very large part of them brought with them the barbaric political culture that ruined their own countries and unfortunately europe tolerates it and when europeans don't tolerate it instead of taking a balanced view some of them are going to the very extreme right to fascism so they undermine european societies on both sides people have learned this look at sweden and at Denmark that changed their immigration society look at a very interesting and important article that The Build published only a few weeks ago trying to set the kind of parameters that allow people in Europe to come if they behave in a civilized way, if they abandon the uncivilized political culture they were educated with. And if they want to be educated in a different way, sometimes they don't want to, but if they want to be educated uh, in a different way, they can change their political culture. We have seen changes in political culture, for instance, in Turkey, a Muslim country a hundred years ago had a positive change in political culture. And now with Erdogan, a negative change in political culture. So political culture can change. And the challenge of Europe is to force the people who come with a barbaric political culture to adopt a civilized political culture of pluralism.
2: Uh, On the other hand, Uh, we could see in the last several days uh, Iranian immigrants immigrants, to walk into streets uh, with Israeli people in abroad uh, and express support to Israel.
1: Uh, Are you surprised by it or uh, we could expect anything like that? No, I'm not at all surprised. You see, in Iran we have today something very similar that we had in Europe, in Germany, in the 1930s and 40s. We have a civilized people led by a barbaric leadership. The Iranians are a very impressive society. Even under the Mullah, some of the Iranians maintain pluralistic structures. One day they get rid of the barbaric leadership. The Iranian people will have enormous success. I think Israel and Iran are the most hopeful places in the Middle East if you look in historical perspective, if you look at what you can expect, one day they get rid of the barbarians that are in power today. Uh, the, The Iranians can demonstrate, they can bring out the kind of qualities we know that the Iranian civilization has. So when people leave Iran because they don't want to live under the mullahs and they come to Europe because they want to have the values that they share with Europe, they don't bring the the um, a values of the mullahs to Europe. They bring the basic Iranian values that they were educated on to Europe. That's a different thing, and I'm not surprised when they support Israel.
0: When staying again now in Iran, aren't you afraid of possible second front in the north opened by hezbollah that is directly and indirectly managed by by tehran
1: i think it would be a major uh, mistake for israel to generate such a war and israel is not trying to generate it it is trying to contain what is happening in the north one day we will have to do something about the barbarians of hezbollah but uh, At the moment, we want to focus on what is happening in Gaza, and there are three good reasons why we may have a good chance of doing it. The first is the destruction of Gaza. If we continue to bring about destruction in Gaza for the Hamas leadership and for its supporters and for its infrastructure, People in Beirut will understand that, that if they started in the north, Beirut will look like Gaza. The only way with barbarians is to frighten them. You can't argue with them, you can't reason with them, you only have to tell them if you will do it, the consequences will be such that you cannot afford. If the uh, Shiite population in the south and basically, the Shiite villages are military posts. In every second house in the Shiite villages, you have missiles and bombs and cannons and weapons against Israel. I don't think that the that Hezbollah wants the war to come to these Shiite villages. If they realize in Beirut that Israel will not hesitate to do to Beirut what it is doing now to Gaza, this lowers the possibility. It doesn't eliminate it, but it lowers the possibility that we will get a war with, um, uh, with Hezbollah. The second thing is that the Americans, and I have to give them credit now, and I'm a little surprised because usually I don't give credit to American policy in the Middle East. They understand that supporting Israel is the only way to prevent a regional war because they're indicating to Iran and to Hezbollah that if they spread it into a regional war, the United States can help Israel vis-a-vis Iran. And I think that this is something that very strongly influences the calculus of the Iranians. So I think at the moment, this is something that we can contain. But let me remind you of something. For the last 10 years, Israel is fighting Iran in Syria every week, twice, three times a week. Israel is bombarding Iranian um, missiles, Iranian weapons that are sent from Iran through Iraq to, to Syria and to Lebanon in order to create around Israel hundreds of thousands of missiles that will be impossible to intercept. So, Israel is engaged in a preventive war against Iran and maybe Israel will have to engage in a preventive war against Hezbollah. We have today the problem in Gaza because we did not engage in a preventive war with Hamas. We should have done it. We didn't do it. I think that now, after we bring destruction to Hamas, every time they try to rearm, we will preventively prevent them from doing so again europeans will be unhappy about it but the unhappiness of europeans is not something that israel should take too seriously compared to the kind of threat that we just had demonstrated to us a month ago uh, when
2: we when we talk about iran uh, i have in mind china because china is a uh, is a large partner of iran but also uh china uh have been a deepening uh, relations with um, uh, with Israel in several last years uh, what's your what's your opinion on the role of china or um in fact because uh, uh, the reaction of china to Hamas' attack was very cold and israel uh naturally didn't like it uh, so what's your opinion uh, China can play a role in this in this conflict
1: Well, let me say two things on this subject. First of all, Israel should be careful not to make China an active enemy of Israel, like Russia is becoming now more and more an active enemy of Israel. We have an alignment where Russia, Iran, and to some minor extent China are lining up against the United States and Western Europe around the issue of the Ukraine So we have the creation of two blocks today in the world, but we should be careful about China. On the one hand, we are not improving our relations dramatically with China. There is no, to the best of my knowledge, no change in the Israeli attitude, and we cooperate with China on the economic level, but very, very, very careful not to let China have advantages over the United States with Israeli technologies. This is something we are extremely careful about. But let me say something about Iran and to some extent China. Here is something that most Arab regimes understand, that today, because Iran is so strong and getting also the support of Russia, and because the Arab states are relatively weak and the Iranians have hegemonic ambitions in the region, it is very important for the Arabs to have Israel on their side. And whereas our relations with the Palestinians are getting worse, our relations with Arab states are working in a trajectory, in a direction of improvement. We are having a minor setback at the moment, but most Arab countries in the Middle East are, on the Israeli side in terms of their interest, even if they speak up against Israel because they have to do so because of their own public opinion. They understand, A, that Israel is the only strong and reliable force to prevent Iran from hegemonizing the region, and B, that we are fighting against the Muslim brothers in the Gaza Strip, and the Muslim brothers are a threat to Egypt to Jordan, to Saudi Arabia, to the Emirates, to Morocco. So, we have two common enemies, and this is the Iranian enemy and the Muslim brother enemy. So, my prediction is that in spite of the very temporary setback, our relationship with the Arab world will continue to improve and the position of Israel in the Middle East will continue to strengthen. And I think that this is a great
0: ending of our interview. Uh, thanks, uh, professor Shoeftan. Uh, Dan Shoeftan is a professor at universities of Haifa and Tel Aviv. Thanks for being here and
1: connecting from Tel Aviv to Europe. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. It was a great pleasure.